Sales is just a transference of enthusiasm. You know, if you can get somebody to see your frame of reference about what you're trying to do in terms of delivering features and benefits, man, it's, 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 and it's cool because you're actually adding some utility and some facility to people's lives. Welcome to the Tales of Sales podcast. I'm your host, Broden Johnson. I've spent close to a decade living and breathing sales, and I've learned that everyone's in sales, whether we know it or not. Once a week, I have the pleasure of speaking with amazing people from all walks of life to hear their tales of sales. Amazing guy, this one, and you'll you'll hear about it. But uh, Dave, why don't you jump in and start rapping about a little bit about a history about yourself? Yeah, um, really stoked to be here. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, what could only be described as eons ago, I um, I began my my sales career in um, in in actually the wine industry. Um, yeah. So I was lucky enough. My my parents owned uh, owned a hotel, and my dad had some really good connections. And back in those days, it was more about who you knew, not what you knew. So mm. I sort of came in as a as a bit of a a bit of a rookie, and and um, and I had some really good. Um, sort of senior guys who took me under their wing and, and sort of taught me basic kind of sales process, I think is, yeah. is the main thing. And when I, um, you know, like even things like the five P's, poor, poor planning results in piss poor performance. Yeah. Like I still remember this now. This was like oh, 19... I got told that as well. Right? Yeah. And this is like 1998. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh, geez, you know, like here I am, some 20-year-old kid out selling selling people wine. And yeah. so then after that, I kind of got a bit, you know, I, I found like I, I really... Um, leveraged relationships, um, having a sort of empathy with with people, having been brought up in the liquor industry, I was able to kind of understand their plight pretty pretty quickly and and what they were what their key motivations and drivers were, mm-hmm. and then I just sort of made a business out of it. So I I kind of really tried to to get the people talking as much as possible, get as much information on the table as possible, mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah, so move from wine to uh, to spirits um and and that was really cool and that's where i met this crazy guy steve dart and uh yeah it was it was amazing so we were i worked for a company called swift and more which was mm. one of the most innovative brand building organizations in the spirit industry so um get to work with key brands like kalua and and um southern comfort and um canadian club and you know all these uh, kind of cool brands jack daniels, jack daniels. you know nice. um Jeez, you can't get cooler than that yeah no it, it it's cool like and um so yeah did that for a long time and um just continue to work on that i like to kick everything off with what's your craziest sales story oh, what's you got to see if you can top steve's now from last week I don't know, man. Like, I, I think uh, my craziest sales story would have been when I had the Monastery Nightclub was a thing back in the day. Um, you know, people of the right generation will talk about it as folklore. It was just, you know, it was a rite of passage. It was a crucible that everyone needed to go through. And um, I was one of the hosts there. So I was working there. And this was at the height of the Jägermeister and, and mm. sort of, you know, Red Bull kind of Jäger bomb kind of scenario and I took it upon myself Steve Dart said to me hey man have you ever tried Jack Daniels and Red Bull and I was like no 
And he goes, yeah, man, Jack the Ripper. And I'm like... Mate, we were mixing everything with Red Bull, see how it went. I said, I love it. And, and I said, you know what? I'm going to have everybody at the monastery <laughs> drinking it. Yeah. And sure enough, monastery sales of Jack Daniels went through the roof because we had people doing Jack the Rippers. So, nice. you know, I, I think we, we spoke about it um, on the phone, but sales is just a transference of enthusiasm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you can get somebody to see your frame of reference about what you're trying to do in terms of delivering features and benefits... Mm-hmm. Man, it's 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 and it's cool because you're actually adding some utility and some facility to people's lives. Absolutely, right. one of the things um, that Dave spoke to me just a little while ago was um, when we got together, and because I was just Red Bull, so we didn't have any other skew. It was just the one product, and I actually used to leverage the other alcoholic brands to sort of mix and, mm. and excite the the consumer. And Dave was one of these guys where he was just yes. Should we do this? Yes. Should we do this? Yep. So, 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 just like so I gravitated and kind of magnetized to him. It was like, should we do this? He's like, yep. So he was my wingman. Whenever we had events, yeah. I said, Dave, you've got to come down. And the big one that we actually gravitated a lot towards was the one at Summerfield Days mm, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, down on the Gold Coast. And it was always a great time, good party. And um, mm-hmm. we just used to situate the Red Bull tents out towards the um, out of p- part of the the field there with uh, around the trees and it just used to be such a great vibe and i think i'm, I'm not sure if i told you or brett one of the podcasts that one i was on my last year of um red bull and i wanted to go out with a bit of a bang so i organized to get some djs it was always a local feel in our area mm, but i wanted to cool, put man. ten thousand watts of sound underneath the red red bull mm. uh, spider tent which we did and uh it was such an amazing event and we i just loved how we could capture an amazing emotion with the brand yeah. and i'm sure dave will back me up on this he was gravitated towards red bull because of that kind of ethos as well Is yeah man yeah. definitely like yeah, and man. and you know i'm automatically as we're talking about this i'm associating that experience at fisho's where we had the stafford brothers on the pontoon in the middle of the of the middle of the water, you know, that faces fishos. And man, honestly, until the day I draw my last breath, I will remember that pontoon rocking with people everywhere. Like in that epoch, we, we, we sort of were able to party. You know, I feel sorry for the younger generation. They don't get these sort of, um, these sort of experiences anymore, but I mean, they have their own versions of it, but, uh, but I think, you know, you talk about that emotional attachment to a brand, mm. you know, you watch Max Verstappen drive and you pick up a can of Red Bull. Like yeah. it, it th- honestly, it, the, the closer you can get to that emotional attachment to the brand and start to encode those memories with and leverage those products, mm-hmm. Mate, yeah. game over. How do you do that though? Well, I, I'm lucky enough to be a psychologist, so it's it's kind of. Um, there we go. Give yeah. us, give yeah, us, the, give us the lowdown. Give him the lowdown because yeah. obviously this is the lock, the lock that people need unlocked so they can say, "Oh, I get what he's saying." So, yeah, look, it, it's interesting because everyone sort of goes, "Well, I just want my brand to resonate with with consumers." Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good in theory, mm-hmm. but how are you going to do it? Exactly. So all you need to do in you know, I guess a, a time permitting, effectively in 25 words or less, all you have to do to strengthen the note of association of, of, of being able to leverage working memory, which is the thing that makes you remember stuff quicker, mm-hmm. um, is 
find some way of getting a cognition that turns into a feeling mm-hmm. that turns into a behavior. And if you can do those three things whilst there is a, an overwhelming presence of a brand, game over. Can you give us there some examples of some brands that have perhaps done that? Yeah, well, again, Red Bull. Yeah. So you think about how good Red Bull is because you go, oh my God, this thing is going to give me DRS. Yeah. You know, like I'm getting, I'm getting a, a really solid turbo boost from this product, mm-hmm. right? I'm feeling that, that boost. I'm feeling it. Like I'm feeling like I'm electric, mm. you know, and I'm doing stuff. I'm being productive. Mm. I'm able to go into my workplace sporting my can of Red Bull and people go, whoa, he means business. <laughs> That's it. You know, I, I, I think um, my, uh, I just finished my MBA and um, at QUT, the business uh, strategy, uh, the MBA director, a guy by the name of Glenn Murphy, fantastic guy, brilliant guy. And um, he's, he's really, really, really energetic because every time you see him, he's got some can of something with him. Like yeah. day one induction for the new MBAs, <laughs> he's got a can of Red Bull as he's giving this induction speech, you know? And, um, you know, I think, I think that's a, a really good example. Mm. So let me just touch on that, mate. The reson, the reson, what what we're resonating with, and I've been out of Red Bull for ten years, and he's been probably away from a part of just being a consumer, but mm-hmm. we still elevate that brand in our psyche, you know, yeah. because we were touched by so many modalities that, yeah, that's what brands do, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you go to somewhere and you buy something and the brand pulls you in and you don't know why you buy it, you just do. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of that that's very psychological. Yeah, so well but, said for sure. But brand building is a is an art, not a science. You know, people, people think that brand building is, you know, like I want to build my personal brand Mm -hmm. all very well and good to say, show me, do it. Mm -hmm. And it, you you know, Sun Tzu talks about it. One can know a thing without being able to do it. Mm. You know, brand building, if I look at Jack Daniels, for instance, Jack Daniels was incredible in three platforms. You know, and they they really made sure they didn't dilute their message. A lot of brands really forget that in order to build the brand, you must do it individually. You can't just have a blanket approach. Mm. You need to really drill into each and everybody's persona and find some way to leverage that brand in that. So is it about knowing all the different personas or is it about picking your niche and focusing on the one that you feel is best suited for your business? Daddy, this is one for you. So I, I think, you know, you talk about niche all the time. Yeah, I'm big on niche right now. I yep. talk about bespoke. I talk yep. about you mm-hmm. as, you know, a, a, as a 20-something guy who is this and that and who likes Mustangs. Like, I feel like you deserve an individual brand experience. Mm. And I think it's incumbent on organizations and, and products to be able to make that happen for you. You know, Makes sense. Sure. Um, when sure. I when I was with um, CUB, I, I, it was sort of a, the emergence of, of Snapchat. Right. And I, you know, we went to a national conference and I said, hmm, I've got a bit of a, you know, I, I tend to think in systems. I'm, I'm a big system thinker. And I sit there and I go, well, I'm interested to see because I'm seeing social media become 
more of a proactive device, not a reactive device. So people aren't having products pushed on them. Mm-hmm. People are actually going actively pursuing an experience with their products. Mm-hmm. And I said to a senior brand manager at the time, I said, I think we should do something with Snapchat. And they said, well, do you know the average, the mean age of Snapchat users is 13? We can't really leverage that as a liquor brand. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that sort of short-term thinking is exactly why you're where you are. Yeah. And other brands are just going... <laughs> That's it. It's about adapting and, and yep. I guess identifying what can happen down the track because, I mean, look at Snapchat now. A lot of businesses are using it. You know, I was speaking to a guy not long ago and he's he's clearing millions from it in, hey, in, in sales in just a short amount sure. of time since Attention. he started to attack that as yeah. a platform. It's um, crazy. and and they, But, you know, I'm a person who's... who's you know, I'm well versed in 18 to 24 branding. So I get it. Like I understand what, you know, psychologically motivates, emotionally motivates, behaviorally motivates, you know, intrinsic motivators, extrinsic motivators. I get it. I understand the machine that is 18 to 24. So by you telling me, and this was for a cool brand like Little Green. Now, Little Green, I don't know if it exists anymore. It's a cider brand, but I think. And they were spending all this money on festivals and doing all these sorts of things. And I just sort of thought, you know what? Like, don't think about the, the performance. Performance is a lag measure. It mm. doesn't tell you what is happening. It's tell you what has happened. It's a good you way know? Yeah, well said. Yeah. And, and you, can't, you can't actually, it, like businesses that look at performance, I say there's something seriously wrong with your strategy because you're thinking of... Now, if you're looking to invest, I'm not interested as an investor, which I do, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in your yearly performance. I'm interested in your leadership. I want to know what are the components. This is where he gets gold nuggets. Yeah, I know. This is, this, is, <laughs> this, this, this is where we want the conversation going. <laughs> yeah, I, Carry I, on. I'm interested in your leadership. I'm interested in understanding how you identify high talent performance. Mm-hmm. I want to know that you're not just promoting people based on tenure or based on whatever components that roll up to people just being there long enough mm. that they're now yeah, the, we'll the, the boss, you know. I, I think that when you're looking for an organization to step into, mm-hmm. you need to see all the, the parts are greater than the whole, mm. you know. And, and I think, for instance, this, this scenario with Little Green and wanting to do all this stuff in the LDA 24 space, mm-hmm. to completely discount things like Snapchat in their kind of, you know, acceleration phase based on performance. Yeah. Mate, you've missed it. That's yeah. it. Goodbye. You've you got to be able to predict to, and, to be able to move forward. But I, I, I suppose just going back into what you're talking about leadership, I know that's something that really sits well with you and that's something that you if, feel strongly about. Can you just, like if I had to ask a question, what's what's one of the important parts of, of someone in leadership, what they need to yeah, do? Yeah, no, that's a yeah, really cool question. And thank you for asking. But I, I think for me, leadership is all about personal leadership and change. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think as I look further into into companies and, and people, like I do a lot of work with helping people achieve their own personal goals. Mm-hmm. And personal leadership is something, you know, what do you know about your values? What do you know about your, your virtues? What are your pursuits? What are your passions? What are your hobbies? Where are you at? Who are you as a person? Yeah. You know, and when you get a, a person that can lay out, you know, in, in a one pager, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what drives me. This is where my moral compass sits. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, but again, an organization has the same amount of um, measurables as a citizen should. Yeah. So uh, an organization should be all intents and purposes a citizen. So if your organization isn't the sort of citizen that you'd be friends with, I love this, mate. Mm. This is awesome. Then maybe it's not, you're not, you're not, a, yeah. you're not a match, you know? Mm. And so a lot of people sit in their life and they go, man, it's not happening for me. And I get it. Yeah. But, but in order to have it happen for you, you've got to be the right version of you. So you, you, you know what it's like, you guys both, you know, when you're, when you're running up and you're absolutely, you know, I'm an F1 fan. So I, I think about, you know, when you're at, you know, 300 miles an hour and you've got your DRS wide open and, you know, you are just absolutely at the peak of your performance. Mate, I felt it myself probably in the last couple of years um, by being my absolute truth. Mm-hmm. And you probably saw that in the podcast last yeah, well, we, week. We spoke I just, about it a little bit. I'm not fronting now. I'm just, this is how I feel. And if you don't like it, then yeah. I'll move on. You know, no no drama. But yeah, absolute truth. And obviously the coaches I've had around me have pulled that out of me. And I was always very truthful, but now I'm superiorly truthful. So I, yeah, think I that, love what you've been saying. That introspective journey to, you know, Oscar Wilde's wisdom, you know, be yourself, everyone else is taken kind of thing mm, you I know like like, <laughs> it's it's you, 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 you know you sit there and you go boom, man boom. like it's such a pithy thing to say but <laughs> hey man that's heavy like there's there's no real true words than that is there? hey and and you know a lot of people you know when i when i'm helping people get to you know get get their own personal leadership and change together hmm. i ask them to sit in front of a mirror for 20 minutes mm-hmm. man you'd be surprised how many people can't do it you know, because the person that's, that's the person that's looking back at them ain't the person that they think it is. That is amazing. Yeah. You know, and they, and, they, and, they, and they go and they go, you know, I've, I've had people really uh, emotionally react to this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, the good news is we know where you're at. This is your baseline. That's so true. So let's make a few changes. Let's yeah. get under the hood. Let's look at a couple of key motivators. Mm. Let's get a better understanding of who you are and what we can do with you, which is sales. That's right. It's absolutely so. How can I help you? Hey, man, let's let's do this so together. Yep. That's it. So do you, do you feel everyone's in sales then? I don't know. I, I think... I, I don't know how to answer that. I think that all the world is a marketplace. Mm-hmm. And how you interact with others has consequences. So there's, you know, there, there's, there's equity in pretty much, you know, I look at this guy and, and I mean, you know, I've been close with him for 15 years. And, you know, every time that we interact, it, you know, th- there's no sales per se, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know... A, <laughs> there's a there's a sender and a receiver and and you know it's dialogue it's not you know Stephen Covey talks about you know the I think it's his sixth principle or whatever it is I don't know mm-hmm. um, but it, you listen to comprehend not listen to respond yeah and that's Sounds you know I, I think is all of life sales question mark don't know comma but it's better if you're better at it <laughs> good way to look at it <laughs> if you can. If you can influence people in a way that's conducive to their success, 
Where is it written that that's bad, man? Yeah, look, let's make that's positivity right. louder. That's my go, for sure. No. I and I simply believe that. That's my crusade at the moment. You know, I just finished my organizational change management certification and I'm on this crusade about being able to be, uh, you know, I want to really drive home this people over process. You know, people are greater than process, man. And organizations that I want to invest in, they get it. Mm. They understand that people are the components that build the process. Mm. So what's your thoughts with technology these days and that people are eliminating some of that people process? And do you feel that that's, a, do you feel that's affecting businesses and, and sales in that regard by eliminating that, that human aspect? But see, listen to what I say. I say people over process. Yeah. But what I'm, I'm not saying all people over process. Right. I'm saying that people that are, again, intrinsically motivated, really um, challenged and given the opportunity to excel and succeed. Mm -hmm. um, as creatures, we're goal-orientated and task-focused. So how do we leverage somebody's time? You know, you're borrowing time when you have an employee. Um, when, you, when they're borrowing the time, how do you how do you make them absolutely as i mentioned before 300 kilometers an hour with drs wide open how do you give them that experience mm -hmm. and yeah I, I think you know i just i think that organizations would be better if they treated people better had less people but better process mm. so i'm not saying have people just for the sake of people yeah, i'm course. saying have people that are treated exceptionally well and that process supports. You know, my, my uncle who did 20 years in the military, he says, you lead people, you manage process. Mm. I like that. Mm. But nice. technology, I think, plays a part, but where is it written that that's actually a bad part? Yeah, of course. You know, it's the soil that you can plant the seeds in. You know, you can either plant, you know, great seeds or you can plant things that are going to, not not be great so i think technology is and again i'll temper that with i think that companies using for talent acquisition and recruitment mm. um computer-based software that uh, assesses a, a resumes and all of those sorts of things before a human being looks at it yeah i think that's poor yeah absolutely System, well systematically i yep. think that's poor yeah because good talent is going to sit there and go <laughs> Well, it, it, it's all the things that aren't written on the paper that are going to determine whether that person's right for you or not. Absolutely. And you can look at, you can look at the, you know, the, the past and you can look at what that person's done, but until you actually see them and what they can achieve personally, they might not look good on paper. Get but it. Until they've had that opportunity, in some cases, you, you never know how they're going to perform and it is a hard thing to gauge. So I 100% agree with what you're saying there. I think, you know, you, you're spot on and... Uh, if you look at the one thing that, you know, people say to me, what do I need to be a good salesperson? Do you get that? Like people, people say they, well, they want the shortcut. They want, they, <laughs> they want the, the one line. It's give like, me, yeah. <laughs> what's this one thing I can do to close this client every time? And it's like, it's not, it's not what it's about. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot more layers to it. There's a lot more that goes into it. And, you know, people say, just teach me how to close. And it's like, that's great. But I can't teach you to do that until we do the rest of it. You've got to do the first part right first because yep. you can't get to that part unless you're doing this part. And it's a whole it's a whole thing. It's not just one thing. It's not just one word. It's not just one phrase that you can say. It's it's the entirety of that relationship that you've got with that person. You you can't you can't play 
a World Cup final unless you've played the game first. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you don't just show up day one and go, World yeah. Cup final, here we go. I, I think the one thing that when, when people, and, and it does, it, it you know, I imagine it annoys both of you too. Like when somebody says, you know, what's the silver bullet? What's the, mm. what's the panacea? How do I, how do I sell? How would you respond to that, Steve, with your with with your complete honesty? Yeah, look, I, I feel I'm, like you've got something good there. No, nah, look, I'm I'm having another conversation as so I'm listening to your conversation, <laughs> as you always do. Everyone's got voice in their head, but um, bless, bless. I, I love every single one yeah. of the voices in my head. <laughs> I was actually just remind me of a scenario just recently. Um, a good friend of mine, Donnelly Perfect. Um, she's been out there on social media and just been putting herself out there, her absolute truth. And I'm sure she wants something to happen soon. And I said to her, she said to me in a LinkedIn direct message how are my videos i said they're fantastic i said but buckle up because you've got another five to eight years before you are an overnight success ha hmm. like it and she went wow and i said that's it it's yeah. my voice yeah buckle up i like but it keep putting out that stuff it's yeah. great so there is no good success in sales there's there's trust there's honesty there's goodwill yep and there's also you giving so much that you sort of guilt them into wanting to know more about you you know as well yeah that's it mm. and that law of reciprocity yep spot 100%. on and i mean just going from what you were just saying then about you know you still got five to eight years to go i was reading something recently and yep. he was basically saying that when when the success comes eventually it'll it'll come really quick so it might all happen in a short period of time and you'll go from suddenly, you know, zero to hero, but it's it's that 10 years prior and it's all that effort and work that you've done prior to that that's actually gotten to the point. It's been compiling for such a rate that eventually it, it just hit a point where it just went through the roof. Yeah. Um, so to some people, it, you know, people will look at those people and go, oh, he was an overnight success or he's he just got lucky or he just caught a break. But when you look at it, he's been doing the hard yards and doing yep. what, showing up. Yeah, showing up, yep. not you doing know, the reps, doing yep. doing the late nights, the early mornings for, for for years and years on end, and doing what it takes to get there and not seeing the reward. And then eventually, it will come. And I think if you can understand that that's the process it goes through, you you'll be able to get through that a lot easier. I've got two things on that, and and I actually have got an answer for when people say, "What's the what's the silver bullet?" Like, mm. what's the yeah yeah, and I say. Invest in interpersonal excellence. Mm. You know, get a really good understanding of getting outside yourself and listening to somebody from their own frame of reference. Mm. You know, that... And and most people just sort of say, well, how do I do that? And I'll say, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about mastery, having this this figure that is 10,000 hours of practice before you are a master. Mm-hmm. And that's when I say, you're at hour one. Wow. <laughs> so, right, 10,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but interpersonal excellence, like you, you talked about it, trust and comfort, rapport, mm. all these sort of things, you yeah. know, this is all key components to selling, mm. you know, to being able to, and it doesn't matter what your features and benefits or your services that you're selling if you're selling capability or if you're selling products or if you're selling whatever, like the better you understand your prospect, man, the better everyone's going to feel about that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's empowering as well? When you are in sales and they're giving you the information and you're trying to uh, find a solution and you actually say, what I've got isn't right for you. Yeah. That's mm. powerful. Yeah. And they look at you and they say, really? And they say, look, it's not right for you. That's that's when I love it. I've done yeah. that before. How good is that? You know, and, and like when I was at CUB, I had, um, I was 
tasked with setting up the restaurants and, and cafes. And mm-hmm. what was really cool about that is we had infrastructure. So we could walk in with like a $20,000 expense and just say, yeah, we can put beer systems in and we can do this and that and, you know, and give you all the glassware and do all the things that you need to be able to, to give you, you know, what you need to be because able remember to. Remember there's KPIs above your head that you've got to hit, but mm. so you're pushing against that as well. Aren't yeah. You? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've got yeah. targets definitely. That's right. But, but, there's a time when you look at somebody's business and you go, is this helping you? Mm-hmm. Is helping you hurting me? And is helping you with putting this in for you going to have long-term ramifications for not only you, but for me? That's right. And and sometimes you just have to work, walk away. As mm-hmm. excited as somebody may be about your product, yep. Dari, yep. and yeah. you go, man, it's not for you. Yep. You know, yep. and and but you can give solutions as to you know how they can build their capability to be able to get a product such as, yep. but also not you know not give them a rod to. I, I think you know one of the things that was was evident in the early days of liquor, mate, was you know big liquor barns and all of those sorts of things before mm. Coles and Woolworths came in and um, did what Coles and Woolworths do, which is be locusts. They consume every natural resource and then move on. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like, and and so there was these big liquor barns, right? Yeah. And these reps would just front up and just dump pallet loads of stock, mm. like to get these trade loaders or whatever. Like, you know, it was a, a big thing if you could sell, you know, 10 pallets of vodka cruiser to somebody, you know, like the problem being is that that product just sits there and then the customer goes, you haven't helped me here. Mm. You know, mm. 26 flavors of Vodka Cruiser at one stage and you've got, yeah. you know, 19 flavors ranged and only two sell. Yeah. Like, how is that, you know, your sale must actually help the person you're selling to. Correct. And I think it's incumbent on you as a, as a you know, we talked about personal leadership and you showing that personal leadership of an, an, an equity in your own brand to say, you know what, man, I don't think you need this product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's powerful to say that. And I remember even when I was going around to bottle shops back in the Red Bull days and uh, Alan Spadiger, my state manager champion. at the time. Absolute champion. Absolute champion. He said to me, if you're ever doing a, a, a rep visit and the bottle shop guy's halfway through a delivery, you put your bag down and you help, help him on. unload. Yep. I was like, really? He goes, that's your number one task. We do that. My God, you just got so much more leverage because yeah. every time you wanted something done, the guy's more happy to help you out by putting a display more top of mind or whatever. But who would have thought to do that? But, uh, you know, that was the but he worked it. in a bottle shop too. Correct. So he, Correct. He, 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 he sort of had a bit of an understanding as to the plight. Of, yep. But again, you talk about interpersonal skills, understanding the frame of reference from the person who's speaking to you. Mm. He understood yep. that the bottle shop guy yep. would have really appreciated somebody to help when the beer truck shows up or the you know yeah. whatever delivery and he knew but but also what steve doesn't tell you is he'd have a freezing cold can of red bull with you after you did it yeah so it's like oh, oh thank god that hard work's over yeah hey yep. what's this yeah how good's this that was the utility <laughs> Ooh, of the product better. <laughs> well it's, I, it, it, it's about showing value to, totally you know to and showing customer. the product in its usage because when he's depleted of energy 
boom. Bang. Hey, here's a can of energy. Um, how did you go? Because when I was actually in selling Red Bull, because it, it was non-alcoholic, I could actually divvy the can around to a few people, but you couldn't do that. You couldn't actually go in and say, here's a shot. Yeah, I, w- I was lucky enough to be in on-premise. So, um, you know, uh, retail was, was an early part of my career and yeah. I kind of, you know, there wasn't enough party in it for me. So yeah. I kind of, you know, but, uh, you know, it's now a far more sophisticated business. I've, I've done some consulting to some organizations that we've built retail bl- platforms and those sorts of things for um, key national accounts. So mm. um, I'm, I'm aware that retail is a big thing. I'm not, I'm not discounting it. I'm saying um, in on-premise though, we, we had that facility. So we had sampling all the time. We had, you know, why do you think they use promo girls? Yeah. Man sees girl. Man thinks girl's very attractive. Man enjoys product. So what does he get? Thought, feeling, behavior, all with a brand. Wow. There you go. Haven't heard that one. That's perfect. Perfect. So, and your brain, it loves that stuff. Sure. It Mm. wants to be, you know, it's all about, your your brain loves novelty. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know? What's happening at the moment, Dave, with um, PC, political correctness, and grid girls, and all that kind of stuff? What's happening there? I don't know, man. There's been told that they're not needed. There was a boxing tournament a little while ago with a card girl. She was was told she couldn't perform, and everyone's like, what's going on? Didn't they use guys? They did. They brought a guy out, and he got booed, and... I don't know, man. Crazy. That's... I got no answers. That's, that's probably where we are. Oh, but, but hang on. I, I am a crusader for diversity and inclusion. So one of the things I really do like to, to bang my drum about is that all, all people are created equal. So I think, you know, that's that's something I'm really passionate about is that, you know, there needed to be an equalization. There needed to be, mm. um, you know, the glass ceiling, so to speak, needed to smash and there mm. needs to be, you know, more... Um, women in leadership and, and all of that sort of thing. And, and I get that it shouldn't matter what your sexual uh, proclivity is or, you know, what, what you are internally, externally, whatever, mm-hmm. as to how you can perform. And I think it's all got to be around performance. Yeah. So I, I look at, you know, when you're saying to me that a grid girl is not, you know, not required, like, Man, I, I don't know, like... It's a hard one, isn't it? What's your thoughts, mate? Honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue where to start with that one. Really? It's, it's a can of worms. I think it's mm. going in the direction that, that it needs to. I think that's probably yeah, the, okay. best, the best way I, okay. I can look at it. I agree. Good point. And, think, and good not point. everything goes in the direction that it needs to mm. with complete efficiency. That's right. And so there'll be some, you know, snakes and ladders along the way yeah, of on. going on that road, you know? It's just about trying things out and, and making that effort to do the best that they can and, and, and make sure that, you know, as you said, everyone everyone's created equal and everyone's given equal opportunity based mm. on their performance. So, you know, it's obviously it's going where it needs to. Mm. And very diplomatic responses from all of us. Absolutely. So was, there we go. <laughs> so it should but be. But actually, because like, you just mentioned that if, a little bit about what you did now. Can I can I get you to elaborate? Like, what are you doing now? Yeah. Like, what's happening in your so, life? So, well, as for me, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a management consultant, which is a really great job. Um, so I, I'm, I'm across finances, I'm across, um, strategy, I'm across people. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see it's an amazing asset for any business Yeah, for well, sure, to come and work with. Yeah. Look, I, I'm, I, I feel like I can make a difference and, um, and, and, you know, I'm really passionate about employee personal leadership and change, mm-hmm. being able to, um, in, enable, um, 
the employee to be the absolute best version of themselves mm. during the time they're at their workplace. Yeah. Because we all sit around and we say, well, you know, I want complete change. Yeah. But do you? Like, do you? Like, how would your wife deal with complete change? Like, how would your, you know, like every action has an equal opposite reaction. The mm. more you change mm. and change management for change sake is not good. However, when you look at, um, I, I just think people should just be really, really excited to go to work yeah, and do what they do. So, um, management consulting is really cool. Um, I get to look at finances, um, revenue strategy. Um, uh, I look at, you know, at, at um, mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a legal component to it as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool job. Um, so effectively what would happen for a management consultant, um, is an organization would hire a management consultant to be able to come in and sort of take a synopsis, um, mm -hmm. or a biopsy of the business and be able to make, um, compelling change to be able to, you know, maybe change the revenue um, forecasts or to look at, you know, expenditure or, you know, where are we hemorrhaging? Why is the business not making money and how can we? Yeah. So how easy is it once you've done that deep dive into the business, you've given them the results and the solutions for them to change and mm. implement? How hard is that? Change not easy. That's the yeah. real sale, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and, and all, yep. it, is it, all it, it is all sales. And you mm. need people like change agents, people that are a part of the system already that go and they say, you know what, this is actually a pretty good thing. Yeah. But what I try to encourage, you know, I know a minute ago I said that you don't change for change's sake, but what I try to um, build into the cultures of the organizations I work with mm -hmm. is a tide of change. Mm. So change is constant because then you tend to, and it doesn't have to be major change. It doesn't have to be kind of wholesale change. Mm -hmm. It can be, you know, if I look at, I fly helicopters and one thing that is really important about helicopters is it's constant movements. It's constant little corrections mm. that makes it fly straight. It doesn't want to fly straight. Right. It's been noted that helicopters are the, are the hardest man-made uh, object mm. to operate. There you go. Oh, and well, actually, it's because yeah. there's so many different yeah. things that you have to do constantly. Yeah. Like you, wow. you must constantly make small corrections to be able to keep on course. Yeah. And I think that's really, um, it, it's a really good analogy for organizations because... And life. 100%, yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, change is, it's not just, and again, I'll use my Formula One analogy, turning up in the pits and having all four tires changed and, you know, you get more fuel and you get new front wing and all of these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's not about that. It's about being able to manage change along the way and have those sort of, so every time change is presented, if it's large scale or, or small scale change mm -hmm. that it's accepted and, and, and taken on as a part of the tide is that it's a part of yeah. the ocean will do this twice a day. I think that's a really good point you make. Cause I was speaking to someone recently who's, you know, trying to kick off their, their new business and they've sort of set themselves their goal and what they want to do. And then a month later, it's, it's, it's changed kind of because things yeah. in their life have changed and everything around us are, are constantly changing and they didn't change their plan to adapt. So now they're, they're off in a skew if mm. and they have to try and bring themselves back and they're doing that on a constant basis. Every, every month, every couple of months, they're having to go, 
shit, why am I out here? What am I doing? I need to come like, and, they, and it's a real big turn for them to try and come back and get back on track. Yep. But I think if what you just said is, if you're doing, if you're conscious about what's happening in those changes and you're prepared to make those small but little changes, it's a lot easier to stay on track than doing one big massive change and constantly yeah. so so you know again i'll reference sun Tzu, but he talks about adaptation to circumstance mm. and that is going to be the most compelling skill that you can possibly have in today's organization is that as change happens you adapt to it you know mm. they talk about agile methodologies and all of these sorts of cool models that assist with these sorts of changes but having people be the agents of change mm -hmm. and having that sale process already done as in, hey man, we get it that your job's really difficult. I do. I, I get it. And I know that there's going to be days where you're just going to front up and you're going to find it really difficult to go through the process here. But how can I help you? Mm -hmm. What can I do to reduce the friction in your user experience? You know, I'm... I'm absolutely so good, so wild good. on ux and cx you know customer and user experience is absolutely paramount a very very good friend of mine and you know he was the 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 best on ground um through my mba cohort a guy by the name of ross barclay works mm -hmm. at boq um just a, a weapon just an absolute weapon like financially um strategy he he just gets it mm. and you know, when you've got a talent like someone like him, mm -hmm. you know, he works in customer experience. So for the bank, he looks at how people interact with his, um, with his products mm -hmm. and then how he can make it a much better experience for them. Mm. Why are organizations not doing this for people? Why am I not looking at companies saying, hey, man, tell me about your UX? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I'm looking at how we interact with our interface or what our web-based programs are doing. Mm -hmm. Man, the people that are running the web-based programs are sitting back going, what about me, bro? So true. Yeah. You know, like where, where, why does my organization not value me as a human being for the eight hours or whatever that I'm here? And eight hour work days are a myth now, right? Like people work, you know? way more now than they ever probably have before mm. how do we change the model yeah well i think <laughs> you know it, it's it's an interesting one because organizations don't want you to change the model that's why they don't go and do snapchat maybe that's so yeah. true maybe you no know one likes change but but why but mm. well that's that's just i think it just like you being you know doing your psychology i think that coming down to human nature and that change has always been something that that we naturally resist, I yeah, suppose. But, but, but it's not it's not it's not a it's not a good thing that we no, do that. Didn't Charles Darwin write a theory about this? I think there's been plenty of theories on it. Because I think that anyone that's gotten to a point where they're successful at life, they've had to make the change because without change you can't get there. But But evolution of the species, like we must do this. Listen, yeah. I put up a post, I think it was on my Facebook for dark marketing, a little plug there, but had a photo out of a caterpillar and um, a butterfly together at a table. And he said, man, you've changed. And he goes, we're supposed to. <laughs> well, that's Love so it. cool yeah. because we're supposed to grow, yep. change. And um, they, they used to be like back when I, I first 
discovered the wonder that is the brain and, yeah. and started to study it. And mm-hmm. um, I can honestly say that for the last 10 years, I've really, you know, um, you know, uh, human potential is something that fascinates me. Mm. Um, I, I got an opportunity to do a PhD in it actually in, in mindfulness. So yeah. um, I'm looking at that as, as, a, as another thing I might look at. But um, my, my thing with human potential is, you know, I used to say to people, you've changed Mm. like as a thing, like I would just go, Hey man, you've changed. And it would be so interesting to see what people say about that. Yeah. You know, like, Oh man, I haven't changed. (laughs) Well, or yes, I have. I feel great. Yeah. 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 How it it comes to you. It could go both ways. That's right. I haven't changed. Well, yeah, maybe you should. You've changed. (laughs) I feel great. Yeah. Okay. You've changed for the better. Yeah. It really is into the interpretation of it, isn't it? Yeah. How you take it in. Yeah. I think organizations will do, you know, when I, when I was at CEB, I think is another really good example. I was once told by somebody who was really, um, quite, quite, quite high up. They said that this business doesn't change. Like, you know, think of how long it would take, you know, a, 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 a Navy destroyer to turn around. Like it takes days, months, weeks, you know, it, it takes a long time for that change to happen for them to do a U-turn in that, in that ship. It doesn't happen just right then. Yeah. You know, they just go, well, we'll just go to port side. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) Like it takes, and there's a whole lot of planning that goes into that. And then you think, well, and you know, this speaks to reason as to why entrepreneurs and startups and all of these agile companies that have got, this is it. The customer at the center of everything they do. Yeah. Mm. Those closest to the customer always win. But that's sales. Yeah. You know, that is sales. And and I think you a lot of people, um, especially when I'm when I'm talking through sales, like they go, Well, what if they say no? Man. Who cares? That's that's where it starts. (laughs) That's I mean that's yeah, that's like when I think I think that's a big thing that people hold, especially in in active sales. Like if you're trying to sell a particular product or service, that's one big thing that salespeople struggle with is, what if they say no? Yeah. And I mean, I, I I um teach it in my course, and I've got a section in there particularly about that because people will procrastinate about it. They'll they'll just think about it too much. Like they'll become perfectionists, or they will just become paralyzed, and they just will never get to that point where they're actually doing it. So they'll they'll think of some reason to not have to do that. But the way to overcome that is just to ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Are yeah. you going to die? No. Is you, are you going to lose your job? No. Are you going to, are they going to, like the worst that can happen is that they hang up in you or they tell you to go away or they say no. I, I think just move on. Telesales is, is a different animal, but mm. I, I think um, Hemingway's wisdom here is I've feared many things in my life and some of them have come true. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, you know, I, I can't, and I'm just trying yeah. to index, I'm going through my index here of experiences where I had somebody say no to me in terms of a sale and it's, I'm not finding too many because what my mantra was mm-hmm. is I began the sale, I began the sales with the other person's motivation in mind Mm -hmm. so their frame of reference was how i came to them Mm. and i came to them with enough stuff features and benefits on the table i added more information as as required to be able to allay any concerns Mm -hmm. man a a no is just you haven't given me enough information (laughs) well that's right there's either a yes or a maybe yeah you know 
that's but and, and and then obviously you've gone into the the emotional side and you've and you've intrigued them you know you've found out you know you've answered the question that they're asking themselves what's in it for me yeah and if you can answer that question then you'll be able to see a lot less no's figuratively speaking yeah i i think again you would know far more about the telesales world but i think in in actual person to person you can actually leverage the relationship a lot better daddy what do you think are we talking about telesales? No, I'm talking oh. about dealing with people and, and that interpersonal kind of transaction that goes on when mm. you are selling to somebody. Yeah, look, I, I base a lot of my selling techniques on just past stories and that becomes back to the authenticity and truthfulness. And I was explaining when I was working at the snowboard shop mm. with Adam in, in Southport and I used to just tell about my experiences and they were so leaning forward into the conversation. I'd say, this really worked for me because of this and this product. If that's what you're after, then this is perfect. If it's not, then... Let's look at something else. And that truth transpired into them saying, well, I do have something similar to that. I want to be protected by the elements of the snow. And it sounds like what I would need. So I'm interested. Mm. We moved on to the next thing, you know, just kept gathering and getting them gloves and everything that sort of went with that whole combination. And then I had a sale. Mm. And then the best part about it was they come back after their, their holiday down to the Southern Alps. They tell you that was the most amazing experience, and that clothing was fantastic. So that was my buzz. I, I actually think got delayed buzz. That's awesome. Mm. And and you know Stanley Milgram did a study about, and it comes back to a, an authority figure. If an authority figure gives you an instruction, mm-hmm. then you'll follow it. Yeah, and in I the like study that. that he did, like, like it, you Google it, Stanley Milgram's study, I think it's an obedience or something of that nature. Mm. Um, but basically, he had people. That were there was a perceived authority figure, mm-hmm. and they had an electric shock, and they were administering lethal electric shocks to people That's because right. the person beside them was telling them that this is a, a, a an advocate or a confederate was telling them that this was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Sales, hey man, I get it. I know what you're going through. Yeah, I mm. hear you. In your case, mm. I've been to the snow. I've mm. ridden boards for as long as you know. I know what you're going to come up against mm. as an authority figure. Yeah. Exactly. You can make a recommendation that just happens to align to your sales. It's funny you mm. say that because I think as salespeople, when we go into a sales environment, someone starts to sell us, we want to see their authority. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's, we? that's yeah. like one of the first things you've got to establish when you're going into a sale is that authority because yep. naturally we, we listen to authoritative figures more often. You go to the doctor and they say, this is what's the matter with you and you need to take this. You don't yep. question it. You don't go... Show me your license. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Where's the proof that I need to do this? And it's you just yeah. you just do it. It's yep. and it's the same with any authority figure in your in your life. Um, if you're at school, teachers, you'll generally you'll listen to them, and that's just the way it rolls. And that's just how we are. So mm. if you can establish yourself as that authority, and as you were saying, Steve, yep. you've been to the snow, you've done that. Yep. And, and trust you. Back on your doctor thing, that's mm. why a lot of them hang their degrees in their in their in their offices Good because, point. mate. You know that they've Social done. Proof. You you know that they've done the. They've got a credible recommendation from people who, mm. who who you know that's that authority figure. So, I think for me in the liquor industry, it was kind of um, an easy transition in that regard because I actually owned a hotel. So mm. a lot of people would actually come to me and say, "Man, I don't know, I don't know what to do," mm. and it was cool because I then got to kind of dial into their business and was able to sort of get a better understanding of what they're, you know, obviously knowing what pressures and competitive forces they were up against, Mm -hmm. you know, scanning the horizon and start to look for innovation to be able to, you know, to to build strategies for the future. 
Mm. Because a lot of people are stuck in models that work. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Not Emphasized. what is working. Yep. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 100%. So, so technology is changing that now? Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I guess we're getting more coached more. We're getting more. Well, these things like podcasts, giving the gold nuggets, that's <laughs> always a little bit of a seated in uh, understanding and, and entertainment as well. So, Because previous to all of this, how would three sales professionals have sat around and talked? Like, And who would have heard it? That's we would right. have been at the pub and maybe the person who would have heard it would have been the guy or girl or unidentified behind the bar mm-hmm. who heard it and went, man, I could do this. That's it. Yeah. But I, I think the technology allows us to learn. It's a tool. And, and, yep. and there's no excuses anymore as to why you shouldn't be aware of something or... It, you know, things that worked compared to things that are working. Mm. We've got everything at our fingertips to be constantly on the pulse at what works and what doesn't well work. Said. So I think that's, you know, that's one way technology's affected it these mm. days. And I just think it, you just don't have any excuses anymore. But there's nervousness too. Mm. You know, there's people and, and we will always, we will always have problems getting outside our comfort zone. But 100%. what you want to get to is a place where you're comfortably uncomfortable. Mm. And you can be present with how difficult it is to be just a little bit comfortable. Can introverts be salespeople? Absolutely. Can they? Yeah. I actually, on that mm. point, I, I saw a study once and it was about introverts and extroverts. Tell and me sales. about it. And the, the basic gist of it was is they, they you know, measured all these salespeople. They got some extroverts, they got some introverts, and they got some people in between and watched them over, over a series of months on how well they performed. And... People think that you know you have to be an extrovert to be a salesperson. You have to be out there and be willing to do all that sort of stuff. And those people did better than the introverts, but only just. Okay. The people that actually did supremely better by a substantial amount were the ones that sat right in the middle. We're not extroverts. We're not introverts. They were just comfortably in the middle. Um, Have they called anything? I don't know. <laughs> ambiverts. But there we go. There, the ambiverts. There we go. But perfect. The, Best spot on that whole entire scale was just under that, yep. towards the introvert side of the thing. Sure. Because they were the ones that had the patience. They they did what it did. Then their, their natural tonality came throughout and yep. they weren't over the top yep. where the extroverts did. So it was an interesting study. I'm going to have to try and think of what it was and bring it up. But Yeah, cool. Put, I in, think, put in your course. I mm. think it's cool because, um, you know, uh, the introvert-extrovert situation, a very, very, very good friend of mine and a mentor, mm. uh, a guy by the name of Cliff Morgan, and he's of, and this is a shameless plug, but I'm going to give it. him one. Um, he's at, at Morgan, Cliff Morgan Consulting. And, um, Where's he's he based? He's based in Brisbane, okay. but he's an organizational psychologist. Um, he spent 15 years in the military. Yeah. He's a uh, commissioned ranked officer. Yeah. Um, and he basically, um, he really goes into the value of introverts and extroverts and mm. primarily in a team-based area. So mm. you're saying can introverts sell? He would probably have a very different perspective on that because I think he would think, well, sorry, I'm going to think from trying to think what he would think. But basically, he would say, well, you know what? Um, introverts are going to have a script because mm-hmm. they're already going to have thought through how they're going to interact with that group mm-hmm. in their head. So they're not going to be as reactive as, say, the extrovert. You know, um, They're going to be able to say, yep, I've got 
system one, two, and three programmed here in my short-term memory. Mm-hmm. I know when you say this, I can respond with this, and then we can build a nice little synergy mm-hmm. and we'll get to the result that way. So on scripts, because I use scripts a lot and I'm a, I'm a, whenever I'm going to sell something new, I'll go through and, and script out what I'm going to do and yeah. I'll come up with all my possible outcomes. Are you an introvert? I think I'm, I think I'm probably comfortably in the middle. Yeah, um, ambivert. I think when I maybe when I can first, go either way. <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah. Let's not go into that. <laughs> um, you, so, mate, I just said the word. You took it, it there. That's it. So <laughs> anyway, it says more about you. <laughs> yeah. So I think when I first moved to the Gold Coast, though, I was a bit more of an introvert. I was I was quite shy. Yeah. But I forgot what I was going with this now. What, what were you Come saying? Come on, Brian, you remember this. <laughs> Come on, say that. <laughs> Come on, Brian, you remember this. No, so, yeah, I'm I'm big on the scripts and I like to do that sort of well thing. But, he but what He did, he did, that worked. <laughs> Psychology <laughs> at its finest. He's what's your, what's your thoughts on scripts then? Yeah, man, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to see mechanic. I, I've been in a job interview before mm-hmm. and um, it's awesome. They sit there and they read a piece of paper to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... This is interview number five, level six, whatever it is. And I'm sitting there and somebody is sitting there reading to me a letter of, you know, what's what's on this interview. The last person I hired, it took me three minutes at a cup of coffee. Mm. And fair enough, I've got a competitive advantage. I understand exactly what's going on inside your head. Yep. And I've got a really good understanding of what those machinations are going to deliver in terms of behavior yeah you know one of one of my um uh, professors in the early days um in psychology i'm not sure she could read your mind but man she was like glenda the good witch she could she could she, i mean she's 20 year psychology professor but honestly she could predict your behavior before you knew what you were going to do right so That's how amazing. how does she do that though is it through Body language? Is it through looking at you? Like how? Yeah. It's a, it's how a, do you think she does it's, it? It's mental calculus. Okay. I think, you know, I, I can't do this. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that I have that level of proficiency, but I, I can do it a little bit. Not, not, you know, not totally. Mm-hmm. But I think what, what they would do is that they would substitute values of different, you know, different behaviors or different thoughts or just different things that they can assess from what you say, how you say it, mm-hmm. you know, conversational analysis is incredible stuff, mm. incredible stuff. And to understand the sort of, you know, subatomic particles of discourse and what those actually kind of roll up to be, mm. you know, I think that they can make an accurate, you know, forecast on what your behavior is going to be. Makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it, people are going to constantly surprise you. Mm. You're never going to have, and we are such volatile and complex creatures, human beings. So they'll always, but you, you know, you but can. there are some things that are predictable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that comes down to like habits and things like that. Behaviors don't yeah. change, man. Spot on. Yep. So it's, it's about using that and, and just, knowing your audience or knowing your, 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 the person you're speaking to. Yeah. But also knowing yourself. Yeah, that's true. You know, like but the, the, the better you understand, you know, you talked about having scripts, mm-hmm. the better you understand how you're going to deliver that information, you know, not just sitting there reading syntactically from a piece of paper, mm. 
and how you can flexibly manage information. Mm. You know, that, that's, that's a key component to intelligence. Right. I like it. Hey, Steve. Remember that I game? Remember that game we played saying. last week? <laughs> What's that? Oh, t- those three items? Yeah. Do it for him. You've probably been wondering why there's an iron sitting on the table here. Yeah. No. No, you maybe didn't even notice it. No, I I did notice it and I... You just thought, thought that was normal. I thought you were making some <laughs> suggestions asking, about my silk shirt. What's happening with the iron on the so table? There's, so there's just a random iron on this table here. Yeah. But we're, we're going to do this one a little bit different because there's the three of us. I'm, I'm actually going to just be a, a spectator on this one. So, Steve, you're going to be me. If that makes sense. So basically, to explain the rules for you, David, this is really getting inside his frame of reference. That's right. Okay. So, so there's actually three items here. So I'm just going to pass them over to David. So you've got a coat hanger. Yep. Right. You have a blue iron. That, yep. There you go. Whoa. And a blue pair of scissors. Yep. Right. So with these three items, you can pick one. Mm-hmm. And generally, what would happen is you're going to pitch me. So you're actually going to pretend it's a it's a cold call. Yeah, Instead okay. of pitching me, though, because Steve's here today, yep. you're going to pitch Steve, so you're going to call him up. The rules are, are pretty vague. You pick an item, make it up. You're from wherever, but you're cold calling Steve, and his job, so your job, Steve, is to throw an objection at him. Just one? Sure. One of the common ones that you might hear in the day-to-day lives. And sure. We're going to see so am I interested to be... Do I want to be a buyer or I don't want to be a buyer? Well, ideally, you want to try and get the sale. Absolutely. So, your call. Let's just see where it goes. Right. You just do what you think is going to be... Uh, Okay. What you need to do. All right. The rules are pretty vague. Just pick an item and go for it. Is anyone selling the water? <laughs> um, you want some water? Yes, please. Yeah. Cheers. Today, Makassi. All right. All right. What are you going to sell me first? I'm ring, s- ring. I'm going to sell you the coat hangers. Oh, how good are coat hangers? I think they're underrated, to be honest with you. Do you? What, tell me, tell me why you think they're underrated. Oh, because I reckon uh, the amount of success they've brought to people's lives, yeah. especially when you need things hung, yeah. they're amazing. Do you use coat hangers, Steve? Absolutely. Actually, I used two this morning to hang you? a shirt up. Yeah. Because I looked what, around, you, and the only, other thing, the only other thing that was probably in its place was the back of a chair. Is that right? That yeah. came second. But you can't have that. Like, if people come over to your house, they're going to see, you know, like, you, 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 you're a young guy. You're going to have, you, you've got people coming around all the time. All like, the time. What I happens? feel like you, you've got a biased opinion here because he loves his coat hanger so much. i tell you what I do love. I do love Glad Wrap. Now, there's a good brand. Well, let's, let's go back. Let's go back. Haven't the they got it on down pat? Oh, just, Everyone loves Glad Wrap. Yes, Glad Wrap is very cool. But back to your kind of situation, how, you know, you... you you're renting. I mean, you've got a, an awesome apartment there in yeah. in Main Beach, and yeah. um, you know you can't have people just popping around and and you know seeing your clothes on the chair. Like, what's yeah? It's not a good look. Not a good look. What would they think? Like, what would they, they think, would think in terms this of this guy's your... got clothes on his chair, and it's not a good look. But it would be a bit untidy. <laughs> it would be it? very untidy. And it would show a little bit of a lack of detail. It would have a deep seated, yeah, anti detail look. So. Basically, you as a business person walk into somebody's house without coat hanger. Oh, I need a coat hanger. Have you got one? I do. Let's have a look. <laughs> I I can tell by sound if it's if it's uh, wire or if it's plastic, and I've got preference. Go on, tell well, me about your preference. Got to, you've got to bang them. No, no, no. You've just got to tell me your preference. All right. First. Wire. The reason I like wire is. Um, it's been part of our culture, especially my culture, for many years. Sure. And the adaptability, I've seen them turn from a coat hanger into an aerial. Cool. 
which is good. But Audi, most of all, the Audi A3 extend, would look really good extend, with an aerial. To extend the story, <laughs> I could even get into the car through that steel one if I didn't uh, have my keys on me. The plastic ones, they're limited. Are they? Well, you can't have an, as an aerial. Well, no, but you, ma- luckily the Audi has got an aerial, Steve. <laughs> and you don't have, uh, you can't break into it because they break quite easily. Do they? That one just broke. It didn't break at all. So so when you're saying that there's multi-use, a multi-facility to the mm. wire coat hanger. Multi-application. Yeah. Do you really need that though? Well, like I we're, do. We're, we're back to the initial problem here of... No, no. If you listen to you what be, I've asked, but hold on. I actually need those three things. That's if true. If that can't deliver, That's true, then but, bring the next thing. But you also <laughs> have just mentioned that you... you don't want to have untidy situations. Oh, you're right. You're and right. your car already has an aerial. You're right. And I'm not you're quite right. sure you could use your <laughs> wire coat hanger to break into your Audi. Right. I think you're right. So why don't you just hang? Look, on this occasion, I think on this occasion, on this I'm going to go with it. Thank you. This Always is perfect. It's a pleasure, mate. I just need to buy shirts now. Yeah, no, well, that's important. And <laughs> and you'd probably also notice we didn't talk price. Never. That's it. Always the usability of it. But uh, but I was mm. more interested in having him tell me a story. Mm. You know, can introverts sell? They're probably better listeners. They are, because he actually did sway my opinion. Because I would have gone with the actual wire one because of the adaptability. And, but you brought the, the wire one in. I, d- I didn't even know where that came from because yeah. Yeah. I wasn't selling you anything. We were just having a basic conversation and you got nervous because you felt I was selling you something. Yeah, I thought you were stealing my time like a professional interrupter and I knew I had to get this done quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's what I feel with sales sometimes. Let me stop you doing what you're doing so I can interrupt you to sell you what I've got. I was like, hmm. But let's cut to the chase. This is what I need. But where is it written? Is right? No, no, yeah. but, but where is it written that human beings are that busy that they can't actually have a conversation with another person? Nowhere. It's so, a, it's a, yeah, it's kind of an unwritten law. You're, you're yeah. kind of a bit nervous about, you know, that would actually make me think, like, what's going on for you? Like, why are you thinking that everyone's trying I to sell you? I actually said now? last week, I just don't like cold calling. Yeah. I just don't like it. Because I, I think don't, when I pick up the phone... Don't bring that into my issue about no, just know. having a conversation. When, I, when I got a phone call, actually, I got maybe the other day, I had like six from this one call center. And as soon as you pick it up, you can actually hear all the other people in the call mm. center. It's just like, oh, I know where this is going to go. And you don't want to be rude, but just say, how about I call you at your time? Mm. Give me your number, I'll ring you back at six. Never hear anything bad. But also, mm. you know, again, you're bringing in preconceived notions. You're already... I always say that, I sorry, have I just walked into a conversation you were going to have? Mm. Or are we having a conversation? Mm. Because in that regard, mm, man, true. I walked into a conversation you were going to have. Like no salesperson has, yeah, got like a, has got a chance. That's a good one. When you're already programmed, you're already primed, you know, yep. you're ready to have a conversation. Yep. And it doesn't yep. matter what I'm telling you, anything is going to associate a trigger for you to start having your monologue. Yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. that's what I call the bias script. Everyone, mm. Everyone's got their own internal script that they, they go through every single time they get into a, a sales position for for example so every time you get into a sales conversation with someone you've got your preconceived notions on what you're going to say yep. because generally speaking your goal is to get off the phone out of the conversation get them away from your door whatever and you know you can say xyz to do that yep but it's about when that salesperson disrupts that that script and gets you off it then suddenly you're not you're not you're not on that preconceived notion anymore and suddenly that's when you're into a conversation and that's when you're into that that yeah. particular pitch. I think it's cool because, um, you know, you guys both love Gary V, right? Mm. So, you know how Gary V got really good at selling? 
No? He had a wine shop. Yeah, actually. Yeah. That's you know where he why started. you know why wine is really good to sell? Because oh my god, do you go into some sensory experience when you talk through what the flavor is, what the feeling is, what the taste is, what the fruit that you're tasting, you know? Mm. That's amazing. So, yep. when I was learning how to sell, yep. I was learning how to sell based on sensory triggers. Yeah. Mm. You yeah. know, it wasn't as pronounced like when you start talking to people about Jack Daniels and you're yeah. talking about the limestone, yeah. you know, the water that they use yeah, is limestone filtered. So yeah. there's a, you know, there's a real different taste that gives the balance to Jack Daniels. Yeah. Well, he wasn't just talking just about wine. He was talking to collectors of wine. True. So he so, was talking to subject matter experts at, in wine. And so he was getting um, triggered by things they were saying. So he was learning and giving knowledge. Correct. And, you know, that was when he was 16 to 20. So, yeah, he had all Formidable those years. years. So, yeah. but, but that hasn't changed now. You listen to him talk now. He still talks through sensory descriptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And so, but that just thought, feeling, behavior, leverage, yeah. brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that you actually have that in your course, I think. That's yeah. definitely worth picking up on. There's plenty of stuff on there. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But he's, he's awesome. I love Gary Vee. Yeah. He's actually changed. Like, since I was into him a few years ago. Everyone's changed. His, yeah, exactly. His, his, deli- his delivery. How is that a bad thing? That's a good. His delivery now. He's so caring. Like, he's got more caring now because he's obviously trying to make positivity louder. He's just... Sometimes I can listen to his different um, podcasts or shows and he's delivering the same message, which we understand. And then he'll just come out with this nugget, which is just so good. Like what you're doing before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, this guy's such a genius. It really is what he thinks about. But as you said, mate, he's just come up through that rank where he's been pretty intuitive about what he's doing. He loves what he's doing. He's always loved what he's doing. And that's a big part of it. Everyone's yeah. life. You know, and, and, you but, love what you do. Absolutely. You mm. never work a day in your life. But yeah. the thing too, uh, and I think listening you know, people who are just getting started in sales, mm-hmm. take people on a journey. Do it quickly, mm-hmm. but Gary Vee does take people on a journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He really does leverage his sensory experiences. You what know, we were talking about last week, Steve, about story showing. Yeah, we talked about that. There's a guy at the moment, Sam Cawthorn, and he's big on that. He lost his arm in an accident. His first presentation on stage, he was talking about all this sort of stuff that happened, and everyone was just there with blank stares. Didn't know what, you know. It was a real life story. So he went home and thought about it and he understood that it had to be story showing, he had to get them into the story mm. and really overemphasize and stimulate all the activity that was happening through that storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there was a massive success. So, What do you think about that though? Like, what do you guys think about uh, that? Story showing? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, I saw him on stage do it, so I was leaning into it. So I think it's, um, I always like to be... Leaning into it by you mean gesturing to move forward no, to listen to a story. Just paying attention yeah. or, you know, not not because we've got such busy minds mm-hmm. and we've always got our inner voice always talking with us. Correct. That's what I feel. Um, maybe you don't. And um, yeah, I, just, I shut out the voice off and listen. That means I'm listening to really paying mm-hmm. attention because, I th- what is it, 3,000 thoughts or something through your mind? Yeah, so I think, well, I think more than that, but, but we only it's it's it's, mm, it's in the millions for sure, yeah, and, so, and it's only a small percentage yeah, that we get. Yeah, ish, ish. Yeah, you're both kind of right. So yeah. there is a finite number. So um, current psychological research will suggest that, and I, I don't have a reference on that. I'm sorry, but um, something I read recently is that, and I'll just use women because that's I'm, I'm, that's what I read. Um, that eighty five thousand thoughts a day. Wow. 
Wow. So, and you think... So, what's, what do you reckon an hour? Well, hang on. You okay. think about that, right? Like, so, every single thought has the potential. So, the way the cognitive progression model works is you have a thought, you have a feeling, then you have a behavior. Mm-hmm. So every single one of those 80-something thousand yeah. thoughts mm-hmm. has the potential to have a feeling, mm. has the potential to have a behavior. Man, that's heavy. Well, do they have the potential or do they just, they do all have those They things? all have potential. Like, so you can't have a thought without having some sort of... Yeah, you can. You can contravene a thought to be, you can, you can contravene a thought to prevent a behavior okay. or prevent a feeling. Yeah, okay. you absolutely can. Yep. So you can interject. So if your internal voice is saying something and you go, nope, that's not accurate. That's actually silly. Mm-hmm. You know, giraffes don't drive Mercedes's. Okay. Like that, that's, that's, that's insane. So yeah. just, you know, cast that aside mm-hmm. and, then, and then go back to what you were thinking already. Um, but that metacognitive process, that ability to think about thinking, mm-hmm. that's, that's, a, that's a real key determinant of how many of those thoughts will actually you know in your conscious awareness will actually become feelings behaviors Mm. so you know 80 something thousand potential like ladies must be buggered by the end of the day (laughs) like there's a lot of stuff going on and like i've been meditating um i was a bit of a precocious young young fella and my mum took me off at seven to go to a meditation class so ever since i've sort of meditated once a day mm-hmm. ever since because i'm behavior based i'm i'm very you know you know me I'm, I'm all about routines and um all that sort of stuff so um i meditate quite quite a lot and i think for me i might have maybe 200 thoughts a day mm-hmm. it's a pretty tranquil little environment in my head so it, but i've taken the time over the years to really get an understanding of that conscious awareness and manage those thoughts um, isn't that great yeah but it it, really it, it's is. all about that awareness isn't it absolutely and but that's too, mindfulness too yeah. to be aware and to be here now mm-hmm. listening to your mind listen to a lot of people say to me how do i get started in meditation what apps do i need what what can i do yeah. you know like should i get a headspace should i get an inside timer man you should just sit still yeah and listen and just listen to what the hell's going on in your head well listening itself is easier said than done <laughs> true like active like listening it. through in any sort of listening generally speaking someone says something and as soon as that person starts talking it'll be a particular word that catches that person's semantic inner, association yeah, that that inner conversation that steve said there's always two going on and they're, they're yeah. thinking about how they can respond and then yeah yeah stephen covey talks about listen to comprehend not respond yeah. and and just listen yeah, so true actively and just be there because you don't know where that conversation is going to go but you've already decided halfway through the conversation that you're going to take it this way and and you're going to go this way with it but to really you know understand the intrinsic motivations behind that person that you're speaking to you have you're only going to get that through listening it's dialogue man yeah like it's dialogue it's it's two people are not simultaneously having a monologue Hmm. we're having a dialogue that's it we're having a chat like you're giving me information I'm listening, mm-hmm. I'm hearing it, and then I'm responding to it. That's right. But I'm, li- I'm comprehending what you're saying, and then I'm sending it back. Yeah. But I, 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 <laughs> I find it really difficult that we're at this place where people are just jamming monologues down everyone's throat, you know? Like, yeah. With my uh, podcast for Behind the Games, one of the reasons for doing it, because if I'm going to go down and meet a client and get to know him, why don't I just record it? And then pull some really great 
um, dialogue out of the whole thing and then let him keep it forever. Because as far as the internet goes, um, where we're at the moment, you've either got the matriarch or patriarch of everyone's family, which will be whoever's here now, mm-hmm. forever will be always be able to hear the podcast recording till the end of time, till mm-hmm. the end of the internet's ever over. So Yeah, hi to my future, everybody. Yeah, hi there <laughs> if you're looking to my, uh, my son Jack's uh, grandson's grandson. Yep. Do you yep. know what I mean? Like, yep. that's a pretty crazy thing to think. Like, it's going to happen. Like, these yeah. recordings going to be up there forever. Yeah. That's it's right. cool, man. And our grandfathers, they're lost in history. Don't know anything about them. Never mm. heard their voice. Uh, I don't know. We, we may not have heard their voice, but our their wisdom lives through us. True. You know? True. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, back to our, our technology talk, man, I'm all for it. Like, I... One of the cognitive professors at, at USQ, um, a unbelievable human being. Like, he's sort of the quintessential, think Sheldon from the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. So, this guy literally wrote the book on working memory. As in, he's one of the authors that came up with the paradigm that created the way we understand short-term memory. Wow. Yeah, like, unbelievable. Like, put him in a social environment, he rack, rocks backward and forwards. But, and I, I said to him, you know, when I first, when, when, I first, when I first got, but he's a cool guy, like first day. Could he do a podcast? Maybe, he'd be awesome. But hey, the, let, let's get him on. Yeah, that would be awesome. Jerry T and you're a champion. But anyway, he, he would turn up in these Paul Smith, like t-shirts, man, like Paul Smith t-shirts. Like this dude would have been a mod back in the day. Like he's late sixties now, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chuck Taylor's, the whole nine yards, like has this quintessential, I know more than you do, but I'm not saying anything Mm. kind of vibe. And I said to him when I was first getting to understand research and I was saying like, like, because you're going through databases, you're managing electronic books, you've got electronic journal articles, you've got everything at your disposal to be able to cite you know, for a research report, you should be able to cite, you know, 200 times. So that shows that you've got a breadth of understanding of the subject. Mm. And I said to him, like, man, like, how did you do this before computers? And he said, well, you just spent a lot of time in the library. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and all the pretty girls Alone. used to go to the library. Yeah, so it was yeah, kind of like yeah. being, yeah, being cool. But, yeah. but, you know, I thought, you know, you think of, the, the way technology has kind of... And now we can write much more... Well, I'm not going to say much more compelling research, but we can say that we've got a lot... You know, we've got access to incredible amounts of information now. Mm, totally. Due to yep. technology. And, and can I just, just mention about how good podcasts are? Because I did one... Oh, I can't remember when I did my first one with um, Brent McCallum. Awesome humans. He interviewed me and I just rapped... Anyway, I was talking to a girl online on Facebook last night and she brought up this comment and I'm like, where'd you get that from? She, and then she tapped in awesome humans. I'm just listening to the podcast now. And I'm like, so she's learning about me mm-hmm. and I'm rapping with her live and I'm like, well, how cool is that? Cause that, I would have to just go through everything of my life to tell her she's actually hearing it. So that's technology is really amazing. That and you've got a chapter of a book. There you go. I'm going to have to get that book. Haven't you seen it? No. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm apparently an influencer. Yeah, you are. No, not really. You're the reason why I have a can of Red Bull every day, you <laughs> bastard. Do you know what? Honesty is such a great thing. And I appreciate you saying that. I really do. Um, but, you know, I think through life, you get a lot of things come at you and you pick your own path, as we've spoken about before. But, you know, it's it's about honest with your, your decisions and, and being truthful with yourself and, and um, being legit. 
Angela Duckworth wrote, to, mm. wrote a really cool book called Grit. Everyone should read it. That's on the to-do Say list. Say that again? Yeah. yeah. Angela Duckworth. Oh, so she, um, she wrote a book called Grit. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she's a researcher um, for West Point in um, Military Academy mm-hmm. in the US. And sort of talks through the... the Angela Duckworth Grit. <laughs> talks through the... Uh, Thanks, Siri. She, she talks through all the the traits and um, personality construct that turn into really good leaders mm. and really good, resilient human beings. So everyone should check it out, Grit by Angela Duckworth. All right, that's your one. My one is uh, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. All right. And your one huh. is a book or I, podcast. I can't even think of the author's name, but there was this book I read recently. It's just called Habits. And Ooh. it was... it was. Is that Ray Dalio? believe no. so. Seven Habits no, no, of no, Highly no, that, Successful No, 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 no. That, it's, it's just Stephen called Harvey. Habits. Um, I don't even have my phone on me. It's up there. But whatever it is, I'll, I'll put it in the comments of this podcast then. But Habits, it was an awesome book and it just really explained the scientific parts behind how Habits created and and how how much they actually influence our life. And until I read that, I didn't realize how much they actually influence our life. I love Discovery because I was listening to James Schranko's uh, podcast. Who? James Schranko? James James Franco James Schranko. Oh, I don't know. Him. He does a podcast. This is years ago, and he mentioned, "Oh, Gary V." Yeah, did it, and I was like, "Gary V." So I went and look up, and I was like, "Whoa!" So it's funny when you say things that people will want to go and discover. Hmm. Oh, the books that you've mentioned because they think, "Shit, I like what you're saying." I might go and dive deep into finding out a bit yeah. about those guys as well. So hundred percent right. Every book I read, they 100%. seem to reference other books, and then yeah. it's like my shopping list on Amazon just keeps getting so bigger good. and bigger. Well, you don't have, you know. I, I've read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, mm. and I think that's the one you're talking about. But Aristotle said it best, you are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence isn't an act, but a habit. Mm. There's another one. There we go. No, that's not are me. That's a, Aristotle. A, but are you going to write a book? No. You yeah. know me. Like, this is the first time that I've done anything publicly. But are you going to start your own podcast? No. I'm just going to collaborate with others. Oh. He's a lurker. Yeah. Oh, look, we'll I, sort him out, don't worry. <laughs> we'll, I think we'll you've get got a lot to offer. I really do. <laughs> and what knowledge. Off on a completely different topic now. Yeah, we have jumped around. Sorry What's about that, the most man. important lesson that you've learnt um, in, in sales or business? Yeah. I think the most important thing is um, planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The better you plan, the better you execute. So back to those those six P's you mentioned at the start. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's only fitting that the the first lesson you learn is the is the most you know the most compelling. But it's so true, like you know. But, but caveat emptor, mm. everybody thinks they can plan. Mm. You know what does Mike Tyson say? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, so <laughs> so true. Punched in the face. But so I think true. the metaphorical punch in the face is uh, is how do you adapt to change? Mm. So planning and adaptation of circumstance, they're the two things that I would work with. Awesome. So to wrap things up then, where can people find you if you want them to find you? Yeah, I'm like the eighteen <laughs> <in> sky sometimes. <laughs> yeah, go. yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm working on this. Like uh, my sister is um, and we're working on um, building a little website and doing a couple of things. But um, yeah, to, to be advised, I'm, I'm, um, I'm sort of, I, I like helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can check me out on my LinkedIn. Maybe you can put the, the thing up. Yeah, why not? Um, and, uh, and yeah, we like always interested in helping people. 
yeah. the whole center. Help people, <laughs> help people get uh, the most of their human potential. All right, that's that, that's got to be the name of your podcast. Human potential, hundred percent. I think it's taken. Is it? Who knows? It would be. Well, that's how this podcast was named after my, me doing my second one. The guy, when I wrapped up the the podcast, he goes, "Oh, that that was kind of like the tales of sales, wasn't it?" And I went. That's the name of the podcast. That's great. Ah, That's great. Just stuck. Isn't it funny when those things organically just happen? Yeah. It's almost like, you know, even the, the most compelling of the free will people will say there's something greater than us working. Mm. That determinist must be a factor. That's it. Mm. Awesome. Mate, it's been a pleasure having you here. Awesome. Great having you back on. Hey, the last day. I'm really glad to be here. And you're doing a great job. Yeah, so let's well do done. it again. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I said last week. You know, I'll bring a friend. Hey, let's do this. Every time we come back, we'll bring a friend. Each. How many more microphones can we get? Each. Well, there's a couple more out there apparently. So <laughs> we can six of us probably... just yeah. wrapping. Why not? Yeah. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Uh, that's awesome. And all the best, mate. I'm I'm really excited to see what you do with it. No, mate. It's been a pleasure having you guys yep. here. This has been the Tales of Sales podcast with Broden Johnson. To master the art and science of selling, follow us on our socials at BrodenJohnson1 or check out our website, thesalesacademy.com.au and remember to keep an eye out for our upcoming book, Core Selling. See you next week.